I know it's spring now because my eyes are watering. That's the rule, right? Wind blows the critters around to make my eyes water. <laughs> if you got your Bibles with you tonight, let's go to the book of Leviticus. We'll continue our journey, the ongoing saga as we continue our way through the Torah. And we're going to take a look uh, beginning in chapter 20. Chapter 20, it's going to be interesting. It's really an interesting concept to think about because really among ancient uh, nations, the, the nation of Israel kind of stood alone in this. They had no prisons. None. Not one. The Lord laid out in Leviticus chapter 20 the, the concept of capital punishment. We've read the, the materials of the law. The law was very straightforward. God kind of gave them a list of things and said, listen, if you do A, B happens. As we go through the law, we'll see if you steal, then you had to pay back double whatever you took. And for every crime, even the ones that we're going to read about tonight, except for first-degree murder, for every crime, there was the option of redemption. The redemption that could be offered was any kind of a monetary sum that was equal to uh, whatever had been done. So for every crime, that was available, except first-degree murder. First-degree murder, premeditated murder, uh, found guilty of that. Blood was required, blood for blood. So as we take a look, that's what we'll be seeing as we look at Leviticus chapter 20. The part that really kind of was neat to see is the reality that there is no prison. It was just simply you were brought before the heads of whatever town you were in, the elders of that town. Uh, if you were in Jerusalem, you could be brought before the Sanhedrin, the 70. There is also a smaller group that they would come before and, and meet before. And as I was studying... I, come uh, I came across Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, and he gives a, a little brief outline on, on why capital punishment and what the intent was. And you really see this when you go through the scripture on it. So take a look at what uh, Rabbi Moshe had to say. One of the, uh, uh, let me see, the death penalty is administered not out of hate for the wrongdoers or even out of concern for the stability of society but rather so that people should be aware of the seriousness of these prohibitions and therefore would not transgress them. And so throughout the generations, there were virtually no murders among the Jews because of the gravity of the prohibition and because they were educated by the Torah and by the punishments of the Torah to understand the gravity of the prohibition, not because they were simply afraid of the punishment. The rabbi said, what were they instructed to do in Deuteronomy? All of these things we find written in the law, teach them to your children diligently. So they would lay out this very law. This was the foundation of their educational system. So when they would lay this out for the kids, they would lay out. When A happens, B is the result, period. So the kids understood the gravity of sin. They understood the gravity of the decisions that they were making and the punishment that was carried with each of those decisions prior to going forward and doing it. Now, it doesn't mean there weren't any. Sure, there were some. But the deterrent was there, not only because somewhere in some church building they had on the wall the Ten Commandments, but because that's what they were taught all day long. 
The emphasis wasn't on hatred or bitterness or anger or taking care of society as much as it was educating our children in the way that they should go. What did the Lord say? When they're old, they will not depart from it. And honestly, as we study history, two things you'll see. One, that the Jewish people, especially the Orthodox that were sticking very close to what God's Word said, there was an incredible amount of blessing upon them. Secondly, they were the number one most persecuted people group on the face of the planet. Those two are simultaneously true. When they followed strict adherence to God's law, we see God's blessing. We see them being fruitful. We see them uh, accomplishing great things. And at the same time, being hated by all the people around them. Not really even understanding why they hate them. The scripture lays out for us, it's a demonic hatred. That Satan hates, why? Because they're good people? No, he hates them because Messiah Mashiach, Jesus Christ, was born among the people. Revelation chapter 12 says that the dragon, Satan, the devil, would turn his attention toward the people through whom Messiah came. And so he turned his attention on the nation of Israel. Ceased to be a nation in 70 AD, but were persecuted wherever they went. Still today. You want to check it out? Go to the website for Dubai. Doesn't Dubai look like kind of a cool place to go? Now see if you can go if you're a Jew. See if you're from the nation of Israel, if you can even travel through Dubai. And that is the way the world is around them. Again, things that the Lord said. Now, as we look at this, we want to realize, we want to hold on to the fact that when God gave us this word, he gave us this word that, that we would know and understand what is truth. What's true? And by the truth, you and I are sanctified or set apart. So as we look, we'll see that as we go through chapter 20. Now it begins. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Again you will say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers that dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land will stone him with stones. And we talked about the worship of Molech a few weeks ago. Worship of Molech, maybe you remember Molech was a, often a bronze statue with arms outreached. He was short, about three and a half feet tall. He would be placed in a fire until he was glowing red or white or, or whatever point. They would lay their children upon his outstretched arms. They would beat the drums to drown out the screaming of the children, the child, as he died. And the child that was placed on the arms of Molech was anywhere from birth to four years old. Placed on him. Now, when you go to Israel and visit Israel, you will cross a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, also known as Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus referred to it as hell. It's where the children of Israel used to burn their babies. He says... Any of you, any person who sacrifices their child to the god Molech should be put to death. And he charges the people around to, to not just turn a, a blind eye to the situation. And we'll see that as we go through. But when we study their history, we take a look at the book of Kings. Here's what we discover. Solomon, Solomon who built the temple, 
sanctioned the worship of Molech and built a temple to him. You remember when Solomon was coming up? The Lord gave Solomon three commands. Really, he gave every king of the nation of Israel three commands. Not to multiply gold for yourself. Not to multiply horses. And not to multiply wives. He said, if you multiply your wives, they will turn your heart to other gods. Solomon, we know, had uh, more wives than anybody has a business having. Right? What was it? 300 wives and 700 and some concubines? It's crazy. Astronomical number. What happened? They turned his heart away from the Lord. He actually builds a temple in Israel to Molech. Solomon did that. Well, we continue through their history. Here's what else we see. King Ahaz of Judah sacrificed his own son to the god Molech in 2 Kings 16. One of the great tribes, or one of the great, great crimes of the northern tribe was the worship of Molech. They would worship him, which led to their Assyrian captivity. It's why the northern tribe was judged sooner than the southern tribe when Israel divides. Why? Because they worshipped Molech. They sacrificed their kids. King Manasseh of Judah, by the way, that's the southern kingdom. King Manasseh of Judah gave his son to Molech. Until the days of King Josiah, when Josiah brought down the high places, Molech worship was available both in the northern and the southern kingdoms. All of these things happen in their history. And when you consider it, you need to realize all of our choices, every choice we make carries ramifications. Every choice of what you will allow, every choice of what you let in your home, what you put out of your home, every choice that we have has ramifications to every, everything that happens in life. It has a reaction. Every action has a reaction. It's a law. The same thing exists in spirituality. Every action or non-action has a reaction, something that occurs as a result. Case in point, Hezekiah, king of Judah, he gets sick. He calls for the prophet, asks the prophet, am I going to get better? The prophet prays and says, no, king, you're going to die. This, is going to, this, this sickness is to death. And Hezekiah prayed. And he prayed, Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, I don't want to die. And the Lord said, Hezekiah, you've done good. It's time to come home. Oh, Lord, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. He continued to pray, continued to cry out to God. God gave him 10 more years. Hezekiah was a good king. In that next 10 years, he gave birth to a son who would become king, Manasseh. The king that would sacrifice his son to the god Molech and be the worst king in the history of the southern kingdom of Israel in Judah. Every action carries with it ramifications. The Lord said, when you go into the land, I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to worship the gods they worship. Who were the gods they worshiped? Molech. And they fell into that trap. Each northern, southern kingdom of Israel is going to end up in captivity. One to Babylon, one to Assyria. Why? They worship Molech. They offered their children. And you and I, we know today, we do it the same way. We just hide it more. Instead of building a high place where people could come and worship and beat the drums to drown out the cries of the children, we do it in the Holy of Holies of a mother's womb, and then nobody can hear. Nobody can hear. 
the silent cry. The, the sad thing is, just a few weeks ago I was sharing that if the health care bill passed, you and I would be paying for it all. Now you and I are paying for it all. As that moves forward, that's a part of the, of the health care bill that was passed. Whether or not you believe in it, your taxes will be a part of it. When we take a look at these things, this, this concept, here's what the Lord said to his people. Hey, when this stuff's going on, you've got to separate yourself from these things that are happening. You've got to be a part, not like everybody else. Not just following suit, not just being a part of it. When they went into the land of Canaan, he said, I want you to stone them with stones. He said in verse 3, And I'll set my face against that man, and I'll cut him off from his people, because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary, profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. Now, people read that verse today. And they say, then it's our job to go out and kill the ones who are killing the babies. This is why Paul said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Folks, we don't get to grab a verse out of Leviticus and run around the world doing what we think God was calling the nation of Israel to do going into Canaan and think it applies to us under the new covenant today. In the land that we're in now. Now, is those things that are happening a crime? Sure they are. And should we turn a blind eye to it? No. But in Romans chapter 13 and and various other places in the scripture, the Lord calls us to obey the government that he has placed responsibly, who is responsible for us, in responsibility over us, to obey them, to follow them, to use the laws and the rules of the land. Are there ways that we can fight? Sure there are. Sure there are. Should we use them? Yeah. I think the point that the Lord is making here is don't turn a blind eye. Don't be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. That everything's okay. Some of the ways we can help out, even right here, is to, is to be involved with the, the Pregnancy Crisis Center that does counseling to serve, to help, to answer phones when you have an opportunity, to go over there and pull the weeds. The scripture tells us if you offer them a glass of water, you're part of their ministry. Just being a part. The good news is Calvary Chapel Buell supports that ministry. So in reality, you're already a part of supporting the things that they're doing. So we just want to realize, hey, we don't have a blind eye. We want to realize and recognize what's going on. What did God tell his people going into the land of Canaan? You don't let that person live. What did they do? They let them live. What did that do? It infected everyone else. Every action has ramifications. Equal and opposite reaction. They chose not to obey through their disobedience. How many more lives were lost? The Valley of Hinnom is, is like a, a, a open burial ground for the babies from the ancient world and the Canaanite religions worship in Molech. So this is a, a lesson that has been a part of who man is even from that point all the way to today. 
We may not call him the god Molech, but we do the same thing for the same reasons. Now, as he goes on, he says, Now, the person who turns to mediums, familiar spirits, to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from among his people. He says, hey, if you're going to get involved in all these other spiritual issues. Now, what did he say? That they prostitute themselves. Why, what does he mean? God considered his people his wife. You belong to me. It's you and me till the wheels fall off. And to go to any other God was to prostitute oneself. To go to any other God, God would say, hey, listen, you, are gone, you have gone a whoring after other gods. Don't do that. Stay focused on me. Stay focused in our relationship. So when we have this relationship with God, where we're on again, off again, on again, off again, we have become that, that person in the relationship that continues to cheat on the one whom they love, to go out with other people, to turn their back, to do all these things. Then we come back, and then we go again, and we come back, and we go again. And it's important for you and I to realize that that's what we're doing. So we have a, we have a way of, of coloring it so it don't look so bad. We got nicer terms. I'm, I'm backslidden. We don't ever say, I've gone a whoring. We make, it, we make it sound like it's a little bit better than what it really is. And I think we need to realize how that looks to God. Now, is, does God, is there ever a point where God's not? extending his hand and forgiveness to those who will reach out for it? No, he's constantly, even for his own people. Even for his own people. Even during these times when they fell, they called out to the Lord. God, God would save. Now, even though God's penalty would come for the crime that was done, that doesn't, that doesn't separate them from being his people. Just because we sin, we fail, and, and we fall under judgment... Does that mean we've lost our salvation? No, it's not. he's not talking about that. He's just saying, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Teach your kids. Teach your kids that this stuff needs to be cut out of their life. That they live their lives wholly before me. Look at verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Now, before we think this is just an Old Testament concept... You need to realize it's repeated again for us in the book of Peter. First and second Peter, the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. This is a concept that God wants his people to understand about him all the way through the scriptures. To consecrate yourself, to be sanctified, set apart, focused on the Lord. Now, there's a lot of people that think there's a lot of ways to do it. But here's what I love about the Lord. Really, he gives us one way. I love it when God gives us one rule, one concept. What do I need to do to be sanctified, set apart? What do I need to do today to be set apart unto you? What are those things that I need to do? So he, he lays it out for us. In fact, we, we can read a little side story of it. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we have the story of, of Naaman. Maybe you remember this guy. He, he goes to Elijah to, to be uh, healed of leprosy. Elisha goes to Elisha to be healed of leprosy. And when he gets there, Elisha tells him what? You guys remember? Go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times. And Naaman gets mad. What do you mean? Oh, there's better rivers than that where I come from. I could have took a bath anywhere. 
I wanted him to, to make me clean. And so as he's leaving and he's upset, his servant says, now, if the prophet had told you anything else, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? Why not just go to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times? So he went, dipped himself seven times, and the seventh time he was cleansed, clean, healed of leprosy. He was obedient to the word, and he was made clean, sanctified, set apart. What is it that the Lord tells us in John chapter 15? If you want to flip there with me, John chapter 15, verse 3. He says to his disciples, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Then in John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, as he's laying out uh, his desire for us to be unified, to be gathered together with the Lord, he lays out for us uh, John 17, 17. He says to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Consecrate yourselves. Peter would say, sanctify yourselves. The concept is the same idea, that by pouring God's word into our life, we cleanse ourselves. Over and over and over again, God's word declares to us, he wants us to be holy. How do we become holy? We pour God's word in. How do we do that? Well, we can go to, to Sunday morning. We go to church Sunday night, Wednesday night. We get up in the morning, spend some time reading the Word. Go to bed, spend some time reading the Word. Over and over and over again. Is there ever a point where you reach too much? You're, you're being too sanctified, too holy, reading your Bible too often? No, it's not possible. We want to be pouring God's Word in, allowing God's Word to cleanse us. What if I don't understand? Don't worry, keep reading. Keep going. The Lord will speak. He will speak to you through the word. I don't care where you start. What book you read, what part you open. You open, go through it, God will speak, and he will consecrate you, set you apart for the work that God wants to do in your life. Now, as we continue back in Leviticus chapter 20, in verse 8 he says, And you will keep my statutes and perform them. For I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, in case we thought it didn't apply, he just said the same thing in the New Testament as he said in the Old. I am the God who sanctifies you. It is he that does the work. And how does he do that work? He does that work through his statutes, his word. The word of God poured into our life is what is going to sanctify you and I. So we need to realize he's the sanctifier we're the participants. We just need to be obedient. Pour it in. Pour the word of God in and allow God to do that work in our lives, even as he did it in theirs. For everyone, in verse 9, for everyone who curses father or mother shall be put to death. Now, we read that and we think that's a little bit harsh. The concept behind the Hebrew word for curse indicates that they were using or falling onto some type of witchcraft. They were, it was not a curse like cussing at their parents. It was a curse as though they were calling on demons to place a curse 
on their father and mother. So they're gathered or, or grouped around the concept or worship of the occult, stepping away from being set apart to God and following the same precepts that the nation before them had done in Canaan, the land that the Lord had given to them. It says, He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. When we consider that, here's what you need to realize. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, the Lord again begins to break down how this would work. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning at verse 18, it says, Now if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, his father and his mother will take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Just giving examples of possible problems they might have with their, with their children. And all the men of the city will stone him to death with stones. So you will put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. What was the point? Teach. The, the punishment was understood. And the behavior changed. Now, what you don't necessarily understand when you read that is when they were brought before the elders, it wasn't the parents' responsibility to bring the charge and carry out the, the, the punishment. He had to be found guilty by each and every one of the elders of the city. If each and every one of the elders of the city did not find him guilty, he wasn't put to death. You could not be the witness against your own child. You could present what was done, brought before the elders, and then they would make that call. They would make that decision. When we look at it, what was the point? Teach them how to walk, that they would understand that that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Isn't that what the Scripture declare? Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, just as bad. You take off in rebellion, and before long, how many people are in rebellion with you? How many people died with Korah? When Korah raised up a rebellion against Moses, how many people died? Korah was the responsible one. Korah was the rebellious one. But whoever would listen to him and whoever wanted to rebel came against Moses. And they stood before Moses and they said, How do we know God really wants you to lead us? So Moses said, We'll let God decide. And the earth opened up and Korah and all his people fell in a hole and then it covered them up. God decided. But what did it cost? Yeah, what's the price? When is it too much? God wants these things to be taught, to be understood, to realize what was required in in God's judgment, in God's perfect understanding of holiness. When God speaks of His holiness, He speaks of that perfect, perfect requirement before the Lord. And that's part of that perfect requirement before the Lord. Verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife. He who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife. The adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Wipe them out. What happens? How many times do you have to do that? Not very many. When when I was involved in a Christian school back in California. Every once in a while it it would come to our attention that you needed a public hanging. Why? Because kids are just off the, off the hook, doing whatever they think they ought to do. Running wild, breaking rules, breaking laws. And then the heart is, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. How long do they drive you till you do it? 
You don't stop it by excusing it or saying, oh, I'll just turn a blind eye. Turn a blind eye or excuse it. What you, what you tolerate, what you tolerate, you encourage. And that's what happens. So the Lord said, put them both to death. When that's the practice, does it change the behavior? Sure it does. Sure it does. So the Lord says, in my perfect example of what holiness is, this is a guideline. Follow. What does sin do? Sin leads to death. Does adultery lead to death? Sure it does. Does it destroy families? Sure it does. Does it destroy children? Sure it does. How many times is too many? So when we, when we consider that, we see God's perfect law. There's wisdom in God's perfect law. He goes on, The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood will be upon them. The man that sleeps with his mom or his stepmom, his father's wife. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, is that blood on God? Oh, I can't believe God has this requirement. No, blood's never on the Lord when the Lord says, if you do this, this will happen. You have freedom of choice, right? You choose. You knew before you made your choice what was required. What was going to be taken, what that meant. So their blood is on them. What about the people who stand before the great white throne in the end and they look at God and they say, but Lord, we didn't really understand that you were serious about all this stuff. I told you. Sent the prophets. Gave you the word. Sent my son. The church went throughout all the world and, and preached the gospel. I sent 144,000 to go to all the world and preach the gospel. And if that wasn't enough, I sent angels to fly around the world and proclaim the everlasting gospel. All of those things take place before the end of the book of Revelation. So the blood's on their own hands. This is the righteous requirement. This is the righteous requirement of the law. It says, if a man lies with a male... As he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. God says it's sin. I'm sorry that that's not popular, but it's not judged any differently than adultery, is it? Or any other sexual sin. In God's eyes, all the same. It's sin. It's wrong. It's all do the same judgment. If a man marries a woman and her mother... It is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. Now, there's two places in the next couple of chapters where the Lord calls for them to be burned by fire. And the best explanation that I can find is that what typically would take place is they would be killed by stoning and their bodies burned. Uh, The scripture talks about that in, in Deuteronomy and in Numbers. That they would be stoned first and then their bodies burned. So probably that's what we're looking at. Nobody has a real good uh, explanation for it. Uh, But their bodies, it would seem, 
were to be burned, that there was to be this emphasis of a man married a, a mother and her daughter, that the Lord was like, that's not okay. Not no way, not no how. And he emphasizes it with the punishment and with the burning so that when it's taught to the people, they will understand. They understand the gravity of the sin and the choices that we make. And what happens when we make those choices. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing. And they shall be cut off in the sight of the people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. If you notice the pronouns as we go through, and when you, whenever you go through a lot of the sexual sins, you will see... Uh, a heavier what in what I see in the reading of the scripture is a heavier responsibility placed upon the male in the relationship. He will bear his guilt when he has uncovered her nakedness. The emphasis is on him. Now both of them were cut off from the people because everyone is hurt in those situations. Nobody gets out of it without there being damage done. So the Lord wants us to understand. You can't just do this and get away with it and think that that nobody's been damaged, nobody's been hurt, nobody's been victimized. So the Lord lays it out. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness, uncovers her nakedness and is exposed her flow, she has uncovered the flow of her blood, both of them will be cut off from among their people. Now you notice in these last two sections, the scripture calls for them to be cut off. That phrase, kerat, can also mean that they are removed from among the people, that they're ostracized, that they're cast out from among the people, not necessarily brought to the, to the pains of death. But again, the Lord laying out, I'm telling you ahead of time, if you this, this is what happens. If you do that, this is what happens. How is that different from Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, here's all the trees, all the fruit of this beautiful land. You can eat freely of anything you want. Just don't touch that tree. Just leave it alone. Did they not have everything else? Was everything else not good? Sure it was. Is it any different when the Lord lays out his law for us? We find ourselves wanting to make excuses for... Well, this should be okay, or that should be okay, or this seems harsh, or that seems harsh. We need to understand. And what we have to teach our children, there's no such thing as a little sin that you get away with that doesn't affect you. It gets you. Always will. The Lord said, be sure your sin will find you out. What's done in secret will be shouted from the housetops. Sin always works its way in, always brings destruction. It goes on. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister nor of your father's sister, for they, or for that would uncover his near of kin. They shall bear their guilt. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin, and they shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it's an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness, 
they shall be childless. Now there's an exception to that rule. What's the exception? It's called the Leverite marriage. When your brother had a wife and she had no children and your brother died, God said, take her and have a child with her that that child might be her hope for her future. And she would have that child and carry on your brother's name, that your brother's name would not cease among the children of Israel. Again, we see the whole counsel of God's word, God's understanding for providing for those whose only means of a future was based on their children. A woman childless with no husband didn't have any hope. So the Lord lays out the, the, the understanding of the Leverite marriage, which leads us to the kinsman redeemer, which becomes a picture of what Christ does for us throughout the scripture. He goes on. They shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. Listen to this, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. Why were the Canaanites being vomited out of the land? Because for 400 years, this is what they did. Every one of these things can be directly correlated to the Canaanite people that were in Canaan prior to the conquest of the children of Israel. This was all a part of what they did. Verse 23, You will not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you. For they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. I don't know what God wants for me. I don't know what God wants in my life. Well, when we read and study the book of Leviticus, when we look at the law, we can see God's righteous requirements. Maybe we fall short in them. It doesn't mean that God still is not calling us to holiness. That he's still not calling us to step out and not be like everyone else. To step away from the old and step into the new. That's what God's calling us to do throughout the book of Leviticus. He's saying, I hate the people. I hate that they practice these things. Why does he hate it? Because it destroys lives. It wipes out people. It ruins things. And the Lord wants his people to, to be holy as he is holy. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the people. Who called these people out? God did. He called them out through Abraham. Abraham's just another Gentile. The Lord went and said, Abraham, I want to take you to a land that will become your inheritance one day. Will you follow me? Abraham left behind where he was and followed God, not even knowing where he was going. And God built from him a people. He separated them out to become a picture for the rest of the world of God's righteous requirement. That people could understand how to have a relationship through the Lord or with the Lord. And that's still true today. We still see how God wants to have a relationship through how he dealt with the children of Israel then and now. To follow to see what it is that God has. You shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean. You shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground which I have separated from you as unclean. You know, when the children of Israel lived their life according to the cleanliness laws that God gave in Leviticus, they were healthier, better, less disease. God's hand of blessing was upon them. And because of that, the people around them hated them. 
Instead of saying, what are you doing different? How come I get sick all the time, but you don't? What is this word of God that you've been given? Looking at it and realizing that God has a plan for his people. And you shall be holy to me, verse 26, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have separated from the people that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Again, overemphasizing that most of the things we just went through in chapter 20 had occultic tones to them. They were all part of occultic worship among the Canaanite tribes. And those were all things that they practiced. Now, chapter 21 and 22, the Lord turns his eyes, his focus, on the priesthood. On the priesthood. Listen, there was a hierarchy in Israel. The hierarchy went like this. The congregation, that's everybody else. The priests. And then the high priest. What's the Lord lay out in Leviticus? Which ones did he call to be holy? All three. But some of them had more responsibility. The priests and the high priests. The high priests had the most responsibility. So there were things that applied to them that didn't apply to everyone else. Is that fair? Is it any different really today? I mean, for example, if we just take something <clears throat> random and we say, well, just the other day I was, I was on my way through Buell and I was passing by the bar and I seen Jackie's truck there. I looked inside and he was in the bar having a couple of beers. Was that okay? Might be okay for some people. It's not okay for me. It's not okay. God would say it's not all right. Higher or, or greater responsibility. Greater responsibility then with that responsibility falls a greater degree of understanding that God wants you set apart. Holy examples to the people. And so this is what God's calling to in chapter 21. In chapter 21, as we take a look, verse 1 through 9 are going to deal with the priests, regular everyday priesthood. And then from there forward, it's going to deal with the high priest. Now, when we look at this, you need to remember, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God said that the whole nation of Israel was going to be a priesthood. What happened? Abraham went on top of a mountain. They built a golden calf. Abraham said, who's going to stand on the Lord's side? And one family stepped forward. You remember who it was? Levi. Levi stepped forward. And from that moment on, the priesthood went through Levi. Now, what about in the New Testament? Does the Lord say that we're a, a holy nation? A royal priesthood? We're called to be priests. Just the same way Peter says in, in 1 Peter. He lays out that same concept. That we are to be set apart totally, completely unto him. So this requirement fell upon the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi broke into three families. <clears throat> Those three families made up all of the priesthood. He goes on, chapter 21, verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the son of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people. God did not want the priests to touch the dead. The concept, again, is not so much about, about the dead or not dead. It's about clean and unclean. And that that which is dead, that which has no life in it, can make something that is clean dirty. 
We understand that concept today, right? If I was to take you over to the, to the stream by my house where this cow has drowned itself and is, it is sitting in the water waiting for itself to pop at some point, and I said, hey, let's have a drink of water. And I went behind the body of that carcass of the cow, and I dipped into the water, and I said, here, have a drink. You guys going to drink it? Huh. Why? It's just something unclean in front of it. What's the big deal? Well, we understand that concept. Why can't we understand the spiritual concept? That which is dead or unclean will make the clean unclean, dirty. It's, it'll make you sick. It'll make you sick. It's the same way that it works in the physical realm, it works in the spiritual realm. In verse 2 he says, Now, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother... His father, his son, his daughter, his brother, also his virgin sister who is near to him who has no husband. For her he may defile himself. What are they saying? For that close family member, he can be involved in the burial, preparing the body, getting it ready. But not just to go around touching any dead bodies. That he's not supposed to be a part of those things. Otherwise, he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. He's saying, listen, he has greater responsibility. So he needs to understand and fulfill this responsibility. There are other people that can take part in that and can be unclean, but he needs to be a step above. So that's what he lays out in verse 5. They shall not make any bald places on their heads. Sorry, Fritz. Uh, Actually, that doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that he can't be bald. He's just not supposed to make bald places on his head. What is that about? In the Canaanite religions, they would go through a variety of festivals in which they would shave bald spots of various places in their head as a, as a form of worship. The Lord didn't want them to look anything like anybody else. <clears throat> don't do that. Don't, don't let that be a part of it. Just stay away from that stuff. No bald places on your head, nor will they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. The priest was Mark above. A step above. Other people might get away with some of these things, but the priest was to be a step above those things. Totally, that just one more bit separated unto God. Out of the world, separated unto God. If we want to move forward with the Lord, we got to get over the idea that I can do whatever I want be whatever I want, watch whatever I want, say whatever I want, eat whatever I want, drink whatever I want, and it's all good. It does, that's not taught anywhere in the Bible. I want to move forward with the Lord, then the God, God calls us to greater and greater and greater degrees of holiness. Not holier than now. It's just holiness, being separated unto Him. Hey, you could come worship God and stay in the outer courts of the tabernacle your whole experience, right? Or you could enter into the place of sacrifice or the place of service or the place of worship either the holy place or the holy of holies now the choice would be up to you if you if if that was opportunity was open to you as it is today we make that choice the point is will you step away from the old and into the new greater and greater degrees of holiness our life is not about how close can i walk to the edge but to put our heels along the edge and walk toward the Lord in righteousness and holiness. And understand, that's what God's calling me to. I don't got to be perfect tomorrow. Just take one step that way. 
Pretty soon, you're, you're a long ways further than you were before. How does it occur? Again, pouring God's word into our life, allowing the Holy Spirit and God to make those changes in us. There was nothing we can do in and of our flesh, basically based on our desire to be good people. It won't work. We have to draw near to the Lord and allow God to do that perfect work in us. Now he goes on. Uh, they shall be holy to their, to their God, and they shall not profane the name of God. For they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of the Lord. Therefore they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman. Nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. And what's the point? There was nothing within this that would cause any question of the priest's posterity, his children. There is not going to be any question of whether or not this was really his child. Any child born of this family was able to be a priest. And that that line was going to remain untainted and unbroken, pure, undefiled. So they, they didn't marry harlots or defiled women or a woman who had been divorced. It was only those women that were, that were virgins that were allowed to be a priest's wife. That was the breakdown. Is she a part of it with him? Sure she is. She's a part. What's her role? Love her husband. Piece of cake. Depends on who you ask, huh? But that's what, that's what, the, that's what the role is. That's what the ideal is, okay? So that, they, so that, that, that line would remain, uh, would remain pure and not be questioned. Therefore... You will consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, she will be burned with fire. That's the other verse, talking about that same idea. That the concept again, she'd be stoned and then her body burned. Emphasis on the fact that the things that we do, the things that she did, reflected upon her family. Her family, her father in particular, was called to a greater degree of responsibility. That same responsibility trickles down to the children, to the kids. And the Lord, what's the point? There's a point so that God can beat her on the head with a stick? No, the point is to teach her so she don't go that way. Don't do this. If a... B happens. Teach your children the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Verse 10, he's going to focus now on the high priest. He who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who's consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. Matthew 26 65, Mark 14, 63, tell us that at the trial of Jesus Christ, Caiaphas broke the law. He tore his garment when Jesus said he was the Christ. He tore his garment, that he was the Son of God. The high priest was never allowed to tear his garment. Could other people? Yes. The high priest? No. The high priest was not to be given to any kind of rash idealism or violence. That he would be so angry or so frustrated that he would just fly. What does the Bible say 
about the elder. What does the Bible say about the pastor? That he would be not be ill-tempered. That he would be even-tempered. That he's not given to violence. The same concept is here in the Scriptures. That he is calm, collected. Why did he tear his robe? Because, well, why stop there? He had already broken just about every law that they had. He wanted to emphasize his hatred toward the Christ. And he emphasized it in breaking the law and tearing his high priestly robe, which it was not lawful for him to tear. He goes on, Nor shall he go near any dead body or defile himself for his father or mother. None. High priest could go to none. Touch no dead body. Someone else had to be responsible for those things. Again, he was called to a higher degree of holiness. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary or profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot. These he shall not marry. But he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among his people. For I, the Lord, sanctify him. Who sanctifies? The Lord sanctifies. It's not what I do. No, it's not what I do. It's a work that God does in the high priest's life and in our life. Being holy does not sanctify you. Your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with the Lord, you're pouring the Word of God into your life. That sanctifies you. And through sanctification, we can step out further and further away from the world and closer and closer to the Lord. Who does the work? God does it. We got to get out of that mindset because I do certain things that made me holy. No, we're all rotten. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's what Scripture says, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not capable of sanctifying ourselves. What do we do? The Lord God sanctifies. How does He sanctify us? By the truth. What's the truth? The Word of God. Pour the Word of God in. The truth of God works in our life. And we are able to step away from the world and into greater and greater degrees of holiness because of what God does in us pour his word in step out in obedience to his word and we are sanctified by him not by me yeah but i don't drink at all so i have reached a higher degree of holiness no if the lord god hasn't done the work in your life you have not reached a higher degree of holiness god sanctifies it's not a list of do's and don'ts It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about pouring the Word of God in and allowing God to sanctify us by His Word. And then when God does the work, and I don't drink anymore, it's the work God did. And you know what? I'm not going to brag and boast about it. Because it wasn't me. It's Him. And I'm just going to continue to pour the Lord in and allow God to do those changes in my life. And when someone is struggling, I'm going to tell them, brother, you need to be sanctified. You need to make yourself holy. Pour the Word of God in your life. Allow the Word of God to change you from the inside out. God's Word will do the work. It's a work of the Spirit in our life. Something that God wants to accomplish in and through us. He goes on now and says in verse 16, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and said, These are now disqualifications for priests. Speak to Aaron saying, No man of your descendants... In succeeding generations who has any defect may approach or offer the bread 
of his God. For, for any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scab, or is a eunuch. No defects can come before the Lord God. Could they have a relationship with God? Sure. They just couldn't come into His presence. What's He teaching us? We have defects. Then we got a big one. It's called sin. Can we come into the Lord's presence apart from His Son? No, apart from being clothed by Jesus Christ and made perfect. For in Christ, you are just men made perfect. Prior to that, you're defective. I'm defective. What's he laying out for us? No man with defect can come before him. How many ways is there to God? One, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, and by the way, that means no man can come to the Father except by me. He perfects us. So it's nothing that we can brag or boast about, right? It's something that God does in our life. That concept is being taught in this attitude, this this concept that with defect, no man could come before the Lord. Could they still eat at the Lord's table? Well, let's see. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest, who has a defect, shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Only he shall not go near to the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect. So both the offering, the offering had to be without defect, right? You couldn't bring your three-legged lamb to offer to the Lord. It had to be perfect. Why? What was the lamb a picture of? Jesus Christ. Was Jesus perfect? Sure he was. Who's our priest? Jesus Christ. Who's our high priest? Jesus Christ. So that also becomes a picture of him, right? So both the one giving the offering and the offering himself had to be without defect, perfect. Because they point to Christ. It all points to him. Now did, could the one who was defected, the one who had a, a, was lame from birth or had some type of, of a defect from birth, could he still eat of the bread of the Lord? Sure. What was he not allowed to do? He could not offer the offering, the sacrifice, or enter past the veil. Couldn't even touch the veil. What did those two things symbolize? The altar is the cross, the place of sacrifice, where Jesus Christ would be offered, the perfect man. And what was the veil? A picture of Jesus Christ, the Holy of Holies, His presence, His throne, if you will, the mercy seat of God. So all of these things pointing and looking at Jesus Christ. He he is perfect, and everyone needed to understand that that was the picture that God's painting. But he could go everywhere else and be a part still. He's still a priest. He just couldn't enter into those places. So he would still be provided for by the Lord. God still wanted a relationship with him. He still could have a relationship. God would still be his daily bread. All of those things were true, even as they're true for you and me today. Even those unregenerate people, does God want to be their all in all? Does he want a relationship with them? Sure he does. 
How must they come to him? Through his son, clothed in perfection, and they enter into a relationship with him. Same kind of a concept, same kind of paintings being painted here. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has this defect, lest he profane the sanctuary, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. What's he talking about? God sanctifies the veil, holy of holies, and the altar. The Lord sets those things apart because they point to Christ. They're examples of who Christ is. He goes on now and says, And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. So as we take a look at this, one of the other things I want you to see as we go through these chapters, how many times does the Lord give them the reason? You know the reason he repeats over and over again? I am the Lord. Because I am the Lord. Yahweh, Y-H-V-H, unpronounceable name of God. Over and over and over again. This is what you will do. I am the Lord. This is what you will do. I am the Lord. Can we trust him? Does he know what he's doing? If it doesn't make sense in our eyes, does that mean it can't make sense? Or do we just need to file it until we have more information? There are a lot of things we need to file that way. Hey, I need to know more. I need to understand more. So I'll keep this here. But I know God is good. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He knows what he's doing. So when I read God's word and I see God's word, first I understand the context, hey, he's talking to his people prior to the time that they're going to enter into the promised land, specifically to the nation of Israel. Does it still have a context for me today? Sure it does. Does God want me to be holy? Yeah. Does he want me to step away from the old life and into the new? Sure. Is there greater degrees of responsibility in our life, in our walk? Sure there is. We, the, the, the apostle would tell us, hey, not many of you become teachers, for you fall under what? Stricter condemnation. Why? Because more is expected of you. That's what the Lord laid out. That's New Testament. So the concepts are still there. The idea is still there. The means to accomplishing it, now we have a great advantage to them. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit working and moving in our life. Desiring to do that work inside of us, sanctify us, set us apart. But we still, like them, had to be willing to make the choice. I choose to step away from the old and into the new. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time that we can come before you. We thank you for the study of Leviticus and, and God, your call to holiness, Lord, and Father, may we realize, God, we want your word to do its perfect work in us, applying your word into our lives, allowing your word to do its work, Lord God, because your word does not return void, but will always accomplish that to which it was sent. And your word includes all of the Old Testament and all of the new. Lord God, there are things here that we need to apply, that we need to ingest, that we need to understand that we need to make a part of us. So, Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would do that work in us.
that we would simply make the choice to submit ourselves, to agree with you, Lord, that, God, you are right, and I need to follow the concepts that you lay for me. So, God, direct me by your Holy Spirit. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. For I do not have the ability in and of myself, and you, Father, did not leave us orphans, but you have given to us the one to empower us to be more than we are. Lord, we ask that you would enable us to be your witnesses to our friends and neighbors and those around us. Lord God, we lift this time to you and ask that you would do your perfect work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.